0: well good morning everyone and want to hear a good hearty good morning this morning How are you doing awesome good to have you here again uh, have to gather together as the church again the Lord has blessed us with another week another Lord's Day to gather and to lift up his name together so well it's almost a year since we started meeting as a core group we started meeting at the end of January Last year, and like I just said, we're excited to actually set a date of our official launch. And uh, I'm just, just so uh, thankful to the Lord of what He's doing in this church. And here we, get, we are again. It's Christmas. It seems like Christmas comes faster and faster the older you get. I'm getting older, and I'm noticing that Christmas comes faster and faster. I don't know if you guys know much about my family. We are kind of Christmas-crazy. Um, we start pretty early with decorating, and, uh, and, and Kim is the same as me, so we're, we're a good match that way, and uh, so we love Christmas, um, but Christmas comes with all kinds of emotions attached to it as well, a lot of experiences in your life. Uh, Christmas can be joyful, it can be exciting, it's that time of the year, right? That, what, what do the songs say? It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? But for some people it isn't, some people it's, it's a sad time of the year, it can be a stressful time as well. You can be anxious about Christmas. But regardless of our experiences or, and our feelings, Christmas is a huge deal in our culture. I don't know if you've looked around. Like There's a building downtown with Christmas trees all the way up the building. It, it's pretty crazy. Um, so it's a part of our culture. I just want to share with you a bit of the tradition of Christmas, uh, where it came from. It's been around for about 1,700 years. Uh, started in the third and fourth century it really just started as a tradition it started as a reaction really to a pagan uh, pagan celebration uh, in the in the church in Rome there was uh, the Roman pagans who would celebrate the the feast or the celebration of, of Saturn and they would be worshiping Saturn during the winter solstice and, and at that time as well there was some philosophers some um, theologians who were trying to determine the the birth date of Christ when he would have been born and at that time, some of them determined it was probably December 25th, right? They were looking at some, some old census material and, some, and some, uh, some of the scriptures leading up to that. Now, it doesn't really matter if, if December 25th is not. It could be another time. It doesn't really, doesn't really matter. We choose to celebrate at this time. And what they did in that culture the church was trying to redeem, uh, re- re- redeem a celebration and bring it into the light of celebrating Christ first. So it's nothing that was mandated from scripture. Right? We don't see any command for us to be celebrating the birth of Christ, um, but we choose to do this, and, and we love to celebrate His birth because it is an amazing thing. We're celebrating the incarnation of God. God becoming man. And so Christmas started with really good intentions, and it's evolved over the centuries into what it looks like today, highly commercialized, right? Um, sometimes distracting, right, from the original intent. But it's all about celebrating the birth of Christ. And he is at the very center of this celebration. Regardless of what you're seeing, regardless of all the distractions, he is at the center of this. Now I want to see a, a show of hands here of those who have in the past year received a birth announcement in the mail. Anybody? No? Is anybody doing that anymore? Sending a birth announcement of their child in the mail? And We have a fresh little baby here, and, and so... Well, we're going to get to that. So how about, how about the new thing, if you're on social media, it's really an announcement of, of being pregnant. Have you seen that? right? And how are they doing that today? They're getting pretty creative with this kind of thing. I think the, the, the weebs, they sent out something that said, we need to spill the beans. There's like a jar of beans, I think, spilled. Um, there's a couple of examples here, uh, the way that people are doing that. Um, next slide, yeah. So kind of creative, right? I really like this one here. Really... Contextual for a time, but you know, kind of tell, <coughs> telling the uh, announcement of a birth coming, but it's kind of veiled, right? It's 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 telling you, but it's not just outright saying that we're we're pregnant, we're having a baby. So they're using pictures, or are using imagery to help you understand that. <clears> there <throat> a glass of water? Oh yeah. Sorry about that. So today we're going to be looking back at God's anticipated announcement of His Son's arrival. And we're going to witness a thousands of years of uh, him announcing this boldly to us. And Paul tells us in the Old Testament writings that they were written down for our instruction. And so we look to them today as a New Testament church and we remember. We look back to what was being said about the Savior who was to come. This Messiah who was to come. So we're going to look at some of these scriptures. It's going to be kind of a high-level overview. We're used to actually diving into a small section of Scripture and pulling it apart. We're going to be looking from a pretty high level here today. Um, But let's start by asking ourselves the question, do we believe in the birth of Jesus? Do we believe 2,000 years ago God became a man? That God was a baby? Or is this just a story Is it some kind of just convenient truth that we attach ourselves to? We have some kind of a carnal sense of having some hope for life after death. Is that what this is? Why do we believe in this story of Jesus? Why do we believe in the incarnation? Well, today we're going to see that God has been progressively unveiling the promise of a coming son, the promise of a Messiah. We see his birth announcement through the pages of Scripture, a future arrival and we're gonna see three distinct identifiers of what the people were looking for of this coming Messiah and the first one is they were looking for a promised man they were looking for a promised man if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 and while you're getting there we're gonna pray Lord we thank you for your word that you have not left us in the darkness that you were crying out that there is a coming coming messiah a coming savior that it wasn't a secret that yes it was veiled yes it was in imagery yes it was in prophecy but you were telling us from the beginning that there is a messiah there's one coming to redeem us of our sin and so we ask you to show us through your word today to reaffirm our faith that Jesus is the true and living God. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you work on our hearts this morning? Would you reveal the word to us? Help us to understand. Help us to know you and grow in faith. And we pray that we would respond in faith. We would respond in worship. And we praise you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. So they were looking for a promised man. More specifically, they were looking for a promised son. The coming Messiah would be a coming son, but from whom? And from where would he come? So if you remember in the Gospels of of Matthew and Luke, they both share extensive lists of human ancestry of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 records 42 generations of human lineage from his earthly father Joseph and back on through David and all the way to Abraham. And then we look in Luke chapter 3. It records Christ's human line through his mother Mary. And that goes through David again and then through Abraham. And it goes all the way back to God himself. It says this in Luke 3.38. After this long list of names, some recognizable ones to you as well. This is the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Mary's line is showing us that Christ is God himself. So first glance at genealogies, right? Some of us might start to yawn a little bit, right? All these genealogies in Scripture. These genealogies are significant. They are so significant. Sometimes we get reading them, and about halfway through, uh, we're trying to pronounce some really hard names, right? Like, Metathias, or this one I would always have a hard time with, Aminadab, right? Our eyes begin to glaze over sometimes, and that's when we, we need to remember, 2 Timothy three sixteen that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Every word in Scripture is good for us and teaches us about Jesus. And so we come to this season, and we want to worship Him, and we need to believe that He is the Christ that came 2,000 years ago. And so Scripture helps us with that. And you know what? The Lord's creation has been groaning for His arrival, waiting for the coming Messiah for 4,000 years before Jesus was born, waiting for Him to come. We're going to start by looking at the beginning, looking back to creation. God created the heavens and the earth in six days. He created Adam and his wife Eve. And remember, he created them without sin, right? They were morally pure. No sin has come into the world yet. God dwelled with his people in the garden. Can you imagine that? Dwelling with the Lord, walking with him in the garden. It was perfect harmony. God and man together. We longed for that day when we will be with the Lord again with him now God gave man one rule to follow in Genesis 2 where you are in your Bibles verses 16 to 17 the Lord commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat okay for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So soon after this command, we see the serpent show up, Satan himself. He tempts Eve to question God, and he rejects, or she rejects the word of God. And then she takes the fruit, and then she eats, and then she gives it to Adam, and Adam partakes as well, both of them equally, breaking the command of God. They committed cosmic treason against the holy God of the universe. They sinned. And just for us to remember, if you and I were in the same place, we would have done the exact same thing. This picture of them sinning is a picture of your fallenness, your sinfulness, my sinfulness. We would have done the same thing. And remember, the moment that they sinned, God has every right at that moment to end the human race entirely. God knew that his people would rebel. Right, This wasn't a secret to the Lord. He knew that they would rebel. And in fact, he allowed this to happen. God is not the author of sin, but he allows it to happen. And he did this to reveal more of himself to his creation. All of a sudden, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. And so we see God through this event, through sin, allowing it. And then we see him pursuing his people. We see him going after them here in Genesis 3. And he removes their futile attempts to cover their sin. Remember, they covered their sin with leaves. And what does God do? He searches them out in the garden. He removes their futile coverings. And he actually kills an animal and covers them with skins. And we'll learn more about that to come. That's very, very significant. Actually, this, this killing of this animal is very significant. It's the first sign in Scripture that blood would have to be spilt to cover the sin of man. There was a need for the covering because they were ashamed. They recognized their fallenness. And their eyes being opened to sin caused this, caused this shame Now, Adam and Eve didn't get off scot-free. Yes, God covered them. He pursued them. There were some repercussions for their sin. Remember, God said, if you eat of the tree, you're going to die, right? And so although he didn't kill them right then, they were eventually going to die. Just like all of us, 10 out of 10 people in this world die, right? That's a guarantee. So some of these repercussions are listed in Genesis 3. They had to leave the garden. They had to be removed from the holy presence of the Lord. They had some specific consequences as well. So Adam had the consequence of pain and toil when it came to his role of being the gatherer of food and the caretaker of his family in Genesis three seventeen to
1: 19 We also know that Eve was cursed with pain in childbirth. But you always have to remember this. In
0: Scripture, when you see God's judgment, with the judgment there is always promise. There's always promise. And we see the first verbal promise of the Lord, of a coming Messiah. This is the first gospel message in Scripture. God says to Satan, and he says to Eve, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Okay, there's, going to be, there's going to be this battle between uh, the offspring of, of the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan, he says, and between your offspring and her offspring. And then he says this, he, and this is referring to a coming man, a coming son, the coming Messiah, he will bruise your head. And this bruising of the head in Scripture is referring to a death blow, right? Right? This is not just a a bruise on the cheek. This is a cause of death by a bruise, by a death blow to the head, okay? So, he will bruise your head, speaking about the coming Messiah, and then Satan, you shall bruise his heel. It doesn't take us much to look back on the Gospels and see how Satan was trying to bruise the heel of Jesus. So this is the very first verbal promise from God himself of his plan to redeem mankind through a man, through a coming son. So we see Satan will do all that he can to destroy the coming Messiah. He will do all he can to destroy our church, to destroy us. And so as we come together this morning to celebrate Christmas, we celebrate it as the coming of a man, the coming of a son, the son who has come. We don't celebrate an accident. Right, This is not just something that just happened. It's not just a, a coincidence. We celebrate the miracle that there was a Redeemer. And it was foretold from the beginning. There was a coming man who would crush Satan's head. you are got to remember that. And we'll see that as we go on here. Now this promise of this coming son, this coming man, is very clear for us today. We have God's perfect, sufficient word. It's clear, right? But for them, it was veiled, okay? To try to explain what they knew about this coming man is uh, to understand that revelation is progressive, right? So from the beginning, God is speaking, and, and it's, it's recounted in words to one another. We're remembering what he said, and so it's veiled to some extent. They knew of a coming Satan head crusher. That was the gospel at that time. If you're ever driving down a road, like say in Saskatchewan, and you're coming towards Alberta, okay, you can see those mountains in the distance, right? just small to begin with. You really can't make out their shape. You, can't, you really can't figure out you know, which mountain is which. But as you drive closer and closer to the mountains, as you keep going west, you see it clearer and clearer and clearer. And that is like progressive... Revelation, as, as God's Word moves throughout the Old Testament, you see the picture of the coming Christ clearer and clearer and clearer. Throughout history, God has been unfurling this, this blanket of redemption, so to speak. This, you know, You ever have a blanket with a pattern on it and it's all rolled up? You don't know what's on it until you roll it out and you're going to see it more and more clearly. And that's what He's doing throughout history. And two thousand years after Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve sinned, God began to give a clearer picture of who this coming Redeemer would be, and that's why we look at Abraham in Genesis twelve fifteen. You can turn there as well, or Genesis twelve and chapter fifteen. God promised that Abraham would become a blessing to the whole world. He promised him people. He promised him land. He promised him a coming seed. That's the offspring of Eve, right? So land, people, and a coming person, okay? They would come from him. Now if you remember the story of Abraham, you remember the story of Sarah, you remember that she was barren? And then God miraculously gives her the birth of a boy, and she names him Isaac. Now at that time, maybe they're thinking, you know, this promise is meant to come through Abraham. Abraham was thinking, it's going to come through me, and uh, this miraculous birth is coming. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the one who would redeem us from sin. And so they were looking at that, and they were, they were wondering, who is this Messiah? But the answer wasn't yet, right? Yes, Isaac was miraculously born. But he was not the man that they were waiting for yet. He was not the son that they were waiting for. Genesis 17 said that through Abraham, there would be an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him, right? But it wasn't Isaac yet. It would come through him. And so this promise continues to unfurl. And then we look forward again to another key person in history. We look forward to the shepherd boy, David, okay? Maybe David would be the
1: man to come. And save us. And the answer yet again was not yet. In fact, there was a prophecy about
0: David from Numbers twenty four, seventeen. And it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead. Of Moab. Again, that, that picture of going back to the original gospel, there's this crushing of the forehead, right? A death blow. So he's still to come. This language of bruising the head of Satan is still the gospel. And we're seeing clear that it's going to come through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and then through David. Now, although David was a great man in in Jewish history, he was the greatest king of the greatest kingdom during their time, David was not the Messiah. He was the type of the one to come. And then we also see God further unveiling his plan through the prophet Isaiah. And this happens 500 years before the birth of Christ. God was revealing that the coming man would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then on to our verse that we read this morning in Advent, Isaiah 9, 6-7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So I hope you're seeing it's it's becoming clearer and clearer as we move through history, as we move through the Old Testament. And there is so much to be seen. This is just a sprinkling of that. The truth is this, is that the coming of the Lord was no secret. Yes, it was veiled, but it was enough for them to believe and have faith in the one who was to come who would cover their sins. Now, it was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. We know that. That's why we celebrate Christmas every year. We remember this lowly couple from a lowly town giving birth in a stable This one who is to be highly bestowed among the people, born in a stable. This Emmanuel, this God with us, God with his people, Jesus Christ. And so we see these mountain peaks of history pointing towards the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, that there was a son to come. So the world tends to be fascinated with stories that are like this, right? Stories that reflect a prophecy and a fulfillment in an unlikely person, right?
1: You think of Lord of the Rings. Think of Superman. Think of Star Wars.
0: And even Harry Potter, right? You see that there's there's some kind of a foretold story that's being fulfilled in an unlikely person, right? Why do you think we love those stories? Is it just because it's good storytelling? It's not because of that at all. It's because our hearts long for that story. That has been written on us from the very beginning. This story of a coming Savior is reflected in the stories today. And the reason that we love it is because our hearts are longing for it. And the ultimate story is fulfilled In Jesus Christ, the story could never be fulfilled in Clark Kent or Frodo Baggins or Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker, right? They all want to be the story, but they're not the story. There is only one story, and that is the story of the God-man Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is about. And this man was born. He was born in Bethlehem. We already looked at that scripture a couple weeks ago, Micah 5.2. This is a scripture that is fulfilled. He was born in Bethlehem. He was prophesied to live in Nazareth. That's from Isaiah 11.1, 1, which he did. He was also prophesied to come out of Egypt from Hosea 11.1. 1. And this is fulfilled when his family escapes from Herod's uh, wanting to destroy Jesus. And they go to Egypt and then they come out of Egypt. He was foretold to be a a minister of light in Galilee, which he was. He he fulfills so many of these scriptures, hundreds of scriptures. There is so much evidence of his fulfillment that it's absolutely undeniable that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He was God when he was here ministering and living with his people This is the true story. The story of a coming Son. The Messiah, Jesus Christ. The story that that God Himself sends His only Son to become the Son of Man. That's what we celebrate. A baby born of a virgin. A son of David. A son of Judah. A son of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and Adam. Right back to the garden, a son of God. And he was promised to crush the head of Satan. And so I call on you to examine his lineage, examine what the prophecies, examine what the imagery all says that Jesus is the son. So they were looking for a son, they were looking for a man. And so we this Christmas should be looking for the son. Worshipping the Son of Man, the Son of God this Christmas. But there's more. As his lineage cries out about his human fulfillment, there's a promised kingship in him as well. This kingship that heralds a promised kingdom. So they were also looking for a promised king. All right? So a promised son and a promised king. Now, we've already heard that the Messiah was to come from David. But we also have to remember that that David was the king of Israel. And this is really important for us to understand. Because Jesus reigns as king today of his kingdom. And we also go back to Abraham here as well. God spoke to Abraham, promising him the land, promising them the people, promising him a coming savior. But God promised that this blessing would come through a king, okay? In fact, God told Abraham 2,000 years before King David, before he reigned in Israel, that someday kings would descend from him. There was no kings at this time with Israel. But 2,000 years before, God is saying there will be a king. Genesis seventeen six. God said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. And he says, and kings shall come from you. So God's plan for his people before there were any kings. Remember, the time before David, they were to be ruled by judges. and, And the people of Israel at that time were looking at the world around them and they wanted kings. We want to be like the world, we want to have a king. And so God gives them a king, He gives them their first king. He gives them a tall and a handsome king, the kind of king the world would want. He gives them King Saul. But it wasn't the type of king that they needed. It's like God said, okay, you want kings? You want your type of kings? Here you go. This is, this is what you want. It's not going to go well for you, okay? But then God redeems that, and God sends David. God's plan was to have a king. David himself, the shepherd boy, he was a man after God's own heart. We see that in 1 Samuel 13, 13 13-14. He was zealous for God. He feared God more than he feared man. He desired God's world rather than the desires of the people. He desired God's very presence to dwell amidst God's people. And King David, like I already said, he was the greatest king in the history of Israel, the greatest human king. And then we see a prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, 14-16, where it says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this prophecy is actually talking about Solomon, David's son, but it's also speaking greater than Solomon that the throne would be established forever. We, we know that David and Solomon were sinners just like you and me. They could not be the coming king, the eternal king. Right? We all know the story of David In Bathsheba, right? David proves himself to be an adulterer and a murderer, a sinner just like you, a sinner just like me. But he was a picture, a small shaded, veiled picture of a king to come. He was a picture of the coming king, the Messiah. And Psalm 110 really writes prophetically about this as well, speaking of. The coming messiah and it's and it's david speaking of the lord speaking to him psalm 110 verse 1 the lord so he's saying yahweh the lord the father the lord says to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool so significant here is that that uh, david is saying god is talking to my lord right so David here is clearly not the one to come. There is one who is greater that he's speaking at, speaking about. And he says, sit at my right hand. This is the Father saying to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Significant again is the, the use of footstool here. The picture of feet crushing Satan again. David is saying that there is a king who will be greater than himself. And it's being
1: fulfilled in a coming king. And this king will be an everlasting king. He will be an eternal king. And
0: we also know from Scripture that he would be a servant king. One who came not to be
1: served, but to serve. We also know that he would be a prophet king in Deuteronomy 18.15. We also know that he would be
0: a priestly king, Psalm 110 verses 4, it says that he would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He would be a loving, healing, comforting king. Isaiah 6, 1-2 says, it was speaking of this coming Messiah. It said that he would bring good news to the poor. He will bind up the brokenhearted. He would proclaim liberty to the captives and would free those who are bound and comfort all those who mourn. Jesus was a very personal loving king he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords and so christmas is not just about it's not just about a baby it's about god writing himself into history coming as a man coming as a son coming as a baby coming as a king a servant king
1: and so they were looking for this promised king But are we looking for the promised king today? It has been clearly
0: revealed to us that Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so, have you submitted your life to the everlasting king who offers you everlasting love, who wants to rule your hearts? Do you claim this this king as your savior? But you follow your own kingdom. You follow your own rule. I think we can all be guilty of that at times. Going after our own plans. Not submitting to the king. And so the Jews here, they would be looking for this king to come. And right up to, to Jesus' incarnation, it was at its height of need. There was Roman occupation. They wanted to be free from the Roman control of Israel, of Jerusalem. But they set their sights too low. They were looking for a military commander. And there is language in Scripture that Jesus would be a military commander in in the holy army of God. But they set their sights just on this earth. They wanted to be free from, from Rome. They wanted to be free from this tyranny of Rome. And so through the incarnation of Christ and even through his death, by and large the Jews missed the king. They missed the Messiah. They didn't look at their word that like we're looking at today and look at all
1: the Scriptures that are fulfilled in Him alone. Don't miss out on the true King. This Christmas, don't miss out
0: on Jesus Christ. Yes, we love the feasting. We love the presents. We love the lights. We love the songs. We love all of it. But it's easy to miss out on the King and to worship the king. And he offers such gracious forgiveness for those who long for him. If you're a believer, you can still be running from the king. Right? It's true. Yes, we're saved. We're saved eternally. God does his work. If he's ever loved you, he will always love you. If he ever saves you, you he will, he will always be saved. But there's a sense where we continue to sin. We continue to run from the Lord. But know this, the king is pursuing you. He never lets up. In fact, some of the old Puritans called him the hound of heaven, constantly pursuing his people. He's a loving and wise king. Just like he pursued Eve and Adam in the garden after they sinned, he pursues you. So turn and run. Run into the king's arms today. Turn from your sin and trust him. For salvation so they were looking for a promised son they were looking for a promised king
1: and they were also looking for a promised lamb a promised lamb as we look at this last promise we'll be
0: looking at Genesis 22 and you may remember we're going back to to Abraham again here Abraham's very crucial for understanding of of the coming king the coming son the coming lamb and this is a very familiar story for a lot of us. It's a story about Abraham and, and taking his son Isaac to sacrifice him, Genesis 22.2. Two. God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. And so Abraham obediently collects the wood for the fire he puts it on his son's back and then he takes his son to the place that God tells him mount moriah what's really interesting about mount moriah is that where they that's where they built the temple right and so you have uh, you have abraham taking isaac to the mount where where they're going to build the temple for for the worship of the lord and we're going to see it's the same area
1: where Christ himself was crucified beautiful imagery here and so he takes with him the wood.
0: Isaac's packing his own wood, just like Christ packing his cross. And Abraham has the fire with him, and he has a knife for the sacrifice. And then Isaac sees that there's, there's no sacrifice. There's no,
1: there's no lamb with him. And he says, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham says,
0: God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both, so they went, both of them together.
1: Where is the lamb? There's a coming lamb. And then on to verse 9 and 14. When they came
0: to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and and laid the wood in order, and then he bound Isaac, his son
1: so much in that story where's the lamb where is the lamb abraham
0: believing the lord believing that the lord would provide a sacrifice lays his son down i couldn't imagine that laying my child down to sacrifice but abraham was believing that the lord would provide and the lord will provide and he has provided he knew there was a coming lamb that would be slain and so the christmas story is that the lord will provide a lamb the jews seen this over and over again and again throughout history from that very first sacrifice in the garden where blood had to be spilt, there had to be a covering for sin they were looking and they were seeing a picture over and over
1: again that blood had to be spilled. The Jews had this tangible, ongoing reminder. Remember
0: when they were in captivity in Egypt, under the oppression of Pharaoh, and the Lord was saving his people. The Lord told them to do what? To kill a lamb. To paint its blood on, its do- on their doorposts, so that their sons would not be killed. And then in the tabernacle, and in the temple later on, there were always daily lamb sacrifices for the covering of sin. The Bible is a bloody book from beginning to end.
1: And it tells us about the coming Savior, that his blood would have to be spilled. He was the coming lamb. And so
0: again, we see this is more than a story about a baby baby. We love to sing the songs about a baby, and it's so precious to think of Jesus as a baby. It's about these announcements of anticipation of a son. It's the truth of of God's redemptive plan from the beginning, the plan to send himself as a son, as a king, to send the final sacrifice, the final lamb. Christmas is all about Jesus. And so like
1: Isaac, looking to his father, we need to look to our father and ask him, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb this Christmas? We have it
0: clearly in God's Word. Jesus Christ is the lamb. This city is full of over a million people who don't know who the lamb is. They don't know that there was a son killed for them. They don't know that God Himself wrote Himself into history for them. And so for us, this this begs us to continue our mission to be all about the glory of
1: God and to fulfill His great commission. Where is the Lamb? So don't forget to be asking yourself
0: amongst the busyness, amongst the, the hype and the joy of Christmas, to be asking yourself, where is the Lamb this Christmas? So take some time as, as families, as couples, as singles, as whatever God has you in life right now, to be focusing on the Lamb this Christmas. It's about His incarnation, but it's about his death as well. And so as we close, we're going to be asking the Lord again,
1: where's the lamb? We're going to close today by celebrating the Lamb, by celebrating the. The sacrifice by partaking in the Lord's Supper that is a picture to remind us that the lamb came and that the lamb lived and that his blood and his body were broken and spilt for us the prophet Isaiah again 500 years before Christ came
0: he was looking forward and he was prophesying about this coming final lamb. And he said, giving us such a clear picture of who this would be in Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 10. It says that he was despised. He was rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I mean, that's a picture of today. He's despised. The world does not esteem the Lord. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, the transgression of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Ask the guys to come forward and they can pass out the Lord's Supper. I'll, I'm going to continue reading here on verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the
1: living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Thank you. And they made his grave with the wicked And with a rich man in his death. As you're preparing to take the Lord's Supper,
0: be reflecting on the Lamb, be reflecting on your sin. You can even take some time to confess your sin to the Lord. Up to verse 10 of this same section. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering, makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong
1: his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This was the coming Messiah,
0: right? So more than prophesying the incarnation and the birth, there was also m- many prophecies about him coming to die for the sins of the world. What did, what did John the Baptist say when he's when he seen Jesus walking along the
1: Jordan River he says behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world and that's what we celebrate today the lamb has come his body was broken his blood was spilt for us so let's celebrate the lamb
0: today first Corinthians 11 23 to 26 is our guide for for taking the Lord's Supper, for taking communion. And it says in verse 23, Paul is teaching on this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke
1: it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you
0: drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink
1: the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes god has given us the lord's supper as a picture to remind us because we so often forget that the lamb has come the lamb was slain rose from the dead for you and for me so that we could have life in him and that we could bring glory to the Father
0: so this Christmas let us remember that the Lord he sent a son he sent a king and he sent a lamb so I pray that as, as we continue on this Christmas that you and I will take time to reflect on that that it would be a time of feasting, a time of worship, that that it wouldn't be just about us, that it would be about Christ, and that we would rejoice in Him. And at this season that we choose to, to remember His birth, this tradition that we have as a church,
1: that we would use it to draw our hearts closer and closer to Him. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You that You have given us so much That you have not veiled the Christ from us. We know that He has come. We read your word. We
0: see that He has come in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And that He never leaves us nor forsakes us. That He is the Son of Man. That He is the Son of God. That He is the King of Kings. That He is a servant King. That he is the lamb that was slain. And so we worship you today. We see this plan from the beginning and it it causes our hearts to just be drawn to you and to be in awe of who you are. That from the beginning, before the beginning, you had a plan for your people. That you are a God who redeems. And we thank you.
1: Work in our hearts today. Draw us closer to you. Christ.